I think the minute I stepped on our practice field for rugby, the calling happened. Uh, an eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something, look, stopping and learning from it. Like, it just looked like it was a heavy hit. It gets up, it's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and I said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. He looked at me and he says, you guys are off. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Tommy Bailu, and this is the show where we talk with people who have found, discovered, and taken advantage of opportunities via rugby. Guys, we have just the most amazing guest. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this one because as we continue to just spread it out so we continue to show the international impact that rugby has and being able to see what is actually happening, not just from our own local bubbles, but see what the entire cultural change of rugby is happening. I have Adam Milby, president of the Philippines Rugby Union, the first woman president of the Philippines Rugby Union that's not even just a, a last of it. She is a world council. Uh, she's one of the world council uh, participants for world rugby. Uh, she is an innovator within Asia rugby. She's a former national player as well. And just all around, she, she was just such an amazing talk. Like, it was, it was really dope to be able to listen to this journey and to hear the perspective. Like, I'm telling you guys, like, it, it, it was... It was really fun. This was a really fun interview for me to do. I mean, they're they're always fun, but this was also like always. This was really fun interview to do. Plenty to talk about. Plenty to see what's going on. Uh, you guys definitely want to be able to get in this because I think it looks. It's about changing the way that we're seeing how rugby can be used. We we know a certain aspect of it when it comes to being able to uh, do the most. When it comes with uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, when it comes to camaraderie and stuff, but we're talking about monumental changes that also impact the way we digest rugby on this globe, let alone in our respective countries. So I, I, I'm excited to have you guys listen to this one. And of course, look, I I have to say, you know, as always, thank you guys for paying attention to listening to this. I'm hoping that you guys are constantly being able to get some value and to be able to see and hear things that you guys might be able to use for your own journey because I'm a big believer, like, and you'll hear it over and over again. I'm about developing the rugby industry, about developing the rugby path where we have a greater investment in rugby than just what's happening on the field, but not isolating out uh, that that aspect of it. You know, uh, I've started a new mantra, wanting to be part of the wanted to be part of the tide that rises all boats. So this this was a great one and um, yeah, not 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 bad at all. Guys, I, I, I know this weekend this was an exciting weekend for a lot of us because yo, Six Nations came back, had a great game, England versus Scotland. Shout out to Scotland for winning. 
Uh, you know, uh, apparently Italy, not so much. <laughs> you know, uh, big ups to Wales and France and just uh, uh, being able to see this rotation of rugby kicking in because it does bring back a certain level of normality. Uh, even on the weekend, we had local clubs being able to play more and more in certain states. I know here in Louisiana, we started to see more and more games uh, popping up in Florida as well. And, you know, even in this COVID risky pandemic, uh, you know, people are trying to find a way to get through. Obviously, the vaccine is coming. I know a number of people who have taken the vaccine. So uh, needless to say, um, you know, obviously hesitancy comes with 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 reason but um you know i'm hoping most people are willing to go take this vaccine so we can uh start moving past these moments because uh i want to get things done i i want to have things happen i want events to occur again uh speaking of events uh we i know last week we officially announced it but i want to double it down by also having another significant announcement of the HBCU Rugby Classic coming back May 1st and 2nd. Yo, you guys got to get in on this piece. Yo, I'm telling you, it is the best. And I can't wait to start working on it. No, not start working on it because clearly I've already started. But to see it come, we're going to be announcing teams uh, uh, over the next few weeks. And, uh, guys, it's, 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 we're always here to be able to support cultural change and to be able to give access and knowledge about things that people don't even know because yo this is what rugby is about add adding aspect to culture you know uh i don't know why aac yeah I, I, I don't really have anything specific for that but uh but yeah no it's it's something that i'm looking forward to you know we're going to do something a little different because it's still pandemic time and I'm not really sure what the travel situation is going to be, but we'll see by the time May comes around. But I, I'm loving it, uh, and and I am so excited. Uh, it's been just a good weekend. You know, just Super Bowl, you know, be damned. But you know, kudos if if you guys watched it. You know, can't take away it was a game. So you know, whatever side you on, um, there was at least entertainment that came from it, um, and and there e- e- even more. So uh, enjoy. But this is about rugby, so uh, f all that American football mess right now. <laughs> but guys, um, yo, I, I always ask, yo, please go and uh, like, sh- uh, like and share a post over on uh, Instagram at Grow Rugby Podcast. Uh, we really are trying to continue to change, trying to start posting more. This month will be a little bit more because now I can start working on content. Um, and just make sure that you guys are getting to feel and see and invoke more and more things as, as time goes on. Um, also, guys, of course, you know, I always got to talk about it. It's about the Rugby Outlet Mall. Guys, I'm telling you, we dropped some new gear. We dropped some new merch. Like, I don't even like using the merch. This is straight up symbolism at this point. You know, not only did we drop our regular Gift Time Rugby iconic brand merch uh, designs, but we also have the um, HBCU Rugby for the Culture uh, shirts coming out. Definitely represent. I'm telling you, it's about support. It's about community. We only get better together. And especially because it's Valentine's Day weekend. And uh, I hope you guys all have your Valentines. We have a special Valentine's Day uh, deal going through. We're getting uh, 
well, we're getting getting a, a 20% off on them, but you guys know the code to use because you guys are Grow Rugby podcasters listening, all right? You guys are adding in. We got a great set of shirts. Our Rugby Bay shirts are dope. They're so dope. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't even lie. Um, but, guys, you guys check it out, and you know what the code to use? Grow Rugby, all one word, G-R-E-A-U-X, Rugby, and you get 20% off all Gift Time Rugby Network and HBC Rugby Classic merch. That's including our Valentine's Day special. And that's only for those who listen. So, guys, check it out. There's no minimum purchase required. Uh, you guys can just jump in on that one and, and take advantage right there. Uh, lastly, lastly, of course, uh, I hope that you guys are really, really enjoying the fact that um, – you know you, you, that you guys are still around. That uh, I hope your days are going well. Um, please, guys. Uh, also, can you guys subs- leave a review and comment on Apple Podcasts? Yo, all the comments, all the reviews help the podcast. Help us get found more. We're here to curate. We're here to distribute. We're here to give more information. So just to be able to let that through, and of course, uh, please subscribe to. Our YouTube page, youtube.com slash gift time rugby network. All right. That's all I got to promote. That's all I got to promote right now. Guys, I'm not going to hold you back. Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy Adam Milby of the Philippines Rugby Union, president, world rugby rep, national rugby player, running the most innovator. Check it out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time Bailu, and I got a really incredible V, an importantly important I, and one of the newest P's that are out there. I mean, you know, persons. The new Philippines Rugby Union president, Philippines national team member, former football player in another life, and just a revolutionary in this industry, Ada Milby. Thank you so much for coming through. Gift, thanks for having me on the show. Really happy to be here. You know, I, I have to admit, um, you know, I I think the first whenever I uh, got to hear about who you were was off of a World Rugby article, and it was actually just whenever you got newly elected as the the president for the Philippines, and then I had a chance to now go like, okay, let's do the Google search and look more, and it's like, <laughs> yo, uh, you know how they always say like you never a, a celebrity never breaks out until like ten years of work, but you think it's overnight. But it's like the time put in. I looked at yourself. I was like, "Yo, you have put in work. You are literally a revolutionary in this industry." And uh, truly, well, I don't an know honor. if I go that far, but yeah, I mean, um, I've definitely been putting in the hard yards. Um, that's you know, I, I'd say it probably started back in high school. Really, um, you know, really pushing the boundaries and trying to trying to push for. For sport for all, really. So, yeah, definitely been putting in the hard yards. Ahead of your time. See, I like it. I like it. We're, we're already on a good page here. You know, uh, I, I, I love 
knowing about where people usually come from, and obviously where you've gotten to this point speaks of volumes of to what your process has been. You know, um, if you don't mind, because I know you're you, you're originally from Ohio, so to go from Ohio to Philippines, I mean, it's I I have to note. So kind of as I always say, finding the people's superhero origin story. How did you get started with rugby? <laughs> Well, um, it's it all started because I didn't think I'd make the volleyball team. You <laughs> <laughs> see the switch there? It, it totally makes sense, you know? It makes Net, sense, right? Knocking um, people out. Hey, it all works. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So actually, my first sport's um, figure skating. I started off skating when I was a kid. And, um, and then I did that for really competitively for about 12 years. And then when I stopped skating, I uh, knew I wanted to st- Stay in sport. I knew I wanted to do a different sport, but I wasn't quite sure what. And because I was competing at high level in, in ice skating, I was actually homeschooled. So when I stopped skating, I went back to the high school, public high school situation. And I was like, oh, well, I don't really know what to go. So I went to one of the volleyball, it was like summer camps, right? So I went to one of the volleyball practices and I was like, these girls are super tall. And clearly they've been doing this for like a long, long time. Like they've been putting in their 10 years. Um, and I don't really know. I can't even like peg the moment when I was like, hmm, I think this is a good idea. Let me go out for American football. Um, I think it was more like basically because like, I mean, like football, it's like culture, right? It's culture. Right. So it's, it's like I think growing up in backyard ball, right? I mean, just going out and running around with the boys and stuff. It was something I did like my whole youth anyways. And so I just kind of thought, well, why not? Um, then I kind of went out and, and unfortunately was not one of the, my most favorite, um, experiences, you know, like uh, high school boys, late nineties, everyone. I mean, I've, I've heard it all. I mean, I, I've heard some, some guys on my own team saying like, you're ready to get manhandled today. It's funny because you, you still have that. Now you have like the situation, you know, Sarah Fuller, Vanderbilt, uh, I guess first woman kicker in D1 kicked just a few times this past year. Still, almost like the world ended by the mere fact that she existed on the field. Let alone, so like the mere fact that it, it's it's just like still from the 90s to 2021, still the same nonsense. Still just in in, in yeah. that arena. <laughs> yeah, let's well, just. I mean, I think especially in, in football, there's just too much. Like there's so much tradition built in, like gendering the sport, right? It's like football's for the boys, and oh, well, now basketball I think is a great example. It has really gone like non-gendered, like it's really like you know, a lot more television for men's men's basketball, women's basketball. I think it's awesome, but football we really we struggled to crack that culture there, right? It's like oh, it's really the man's sport and <laughs> blah blah blah. But I, I think that. You know, I think that with Vanderbilt being, you know, one of the kickers now, you know, it's one of those things like that's high profile, right? I mean, I'm just like right. small town, little 10,000, you know, 10,000 population city when I was growing up. So it was huge news at the time, but nobody else heard about it. It didn't make any kind of national or international news. Right. But someone like that, you know, now that it's like, you know, huge news, more girls are going to be like, oh, she's done it. Now I can try that too. And it's like, it's exactly. really about just raising the profile and like being in a space that's like okay i've seen one person sometimes it just takes one person and then the next person and the next person and more news outlets are going to start picking up these stories um and i think really encouraging more girls in that space and to the point i mean changing culture takes time 
Um, right. and, and it will just take time. But anyway, so yeah, like that was basically my origin. Um, you know, got into football, played one season, have some hilarious stories for another for another time. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna come um, back on that one. We, we want to make sure we have something yeah. for next. I, I want to make sure I can get you again. <laughs> That's right. Um, but anyway, so then I so I just did that one season. Um, but I really enjoyed the. I loved it. I mean, I love like there's nothing like getting hit for the first time or making your first hit for the the first time, and you're like, this is amazing. Right. Um, <laughs> like it, it, it's the so, so, first anticipated worry of like the pain, and then once you realize, yo, this isn't that bad, you're just like, oh, I gotta do so this bad. again. Let's go. Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. So that's basically what happened. And then when I went to when I got to college, uh, you know, I was just around in the oval, and uh, some kids, some you know, some girls were like, hey, you want to come try rugby? I was like, what in the heck is this sport? And they're like, it's football without pads. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> So I just super fell in love with it. Yeah, just super fell in love with it. Um, you know, the, the culture, like that team, the family, um, like literally putting your body on the line for your teammate. Like it was just a completely different feeling um, from, you know, doing individual sports like ice skating, which which is challenging on a different level. But there's just something really specific about about team sports. And, and for me, rugby personally, um, that just that just really hooked me. See, I can get that. And, you know, I have a few, several friends that moved from individual even to rugby. But for you, obviously, whenever you started rugby, this was in uh, early, mid-2000s, correct? 2001, yeah. 2000. So you're talking about even, it actually feels like a different era. It not even feels like it's a different era of rugby, let alone yeah. for overall, let alone for women. So entering into that whenever you, in 2001, what was the environment like for you? Because I know in uh, De you went to Devery University, correct? In in that's in Ohio. Well, I went to uh, my the, where I was introduced to rugby was at Wright State University in Ohio. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about in still small small. I consider Ohio to be very a southern city that a southern state that happens to be in the Midwest. So. The, the, the constitutions yeah. are very similar, familiar to me, but, you know, in, in that time, you're talking about women's rugby in a small town, small school, in a small area. You know, what was that environment like for you in being able to develop the rugby there? Yeah, I mean, look, at I didn't know what I was getting myself into at the time. I just wanted to play some ball. Um, but, you know, there were. I didn't play on a varsity team. It was just the the college club social, right? I mean, but it was just really a great time. And it was really amateur. You know, nobody was thinking about, oh, I'm going to use this as my pathway to, to get on the Eagles or something like that. It was just like everybody just went out and had a good time, smash it up, have some drinks after, um, you know, and, and that's, that's what it was. It was like the college experience. Um, yeah, so it was a very different era because I think now, I think USA Rugby, um, despite – some of the challenges of recent have done a really great job of building up their women's program, their men's program. There's very clear pathways. I think that, um, you know, the camps that they've set up all over the country are, are really, really a step in the right direction. They've got the support of the national Olympic committee, um, especially now that it's in the Olympics again. So right. I, think, I think that, um, you know, pathway wise, uh, USA rugby is really on the right track as far as um, becoming a, a global contender for both right. men's and women's. No, I, I agree, I, and I think we, especially whenever they want to, especially once it got to the Olympics, and you're able to attach with like Chula Vista and stuff like that, you were able to see it, and you're starting to see the talent pool, which is kind of why I love the dichotomy of where 
where it started to where it is now. Because I know I've talked with uh, uh, other women who were on that starting in 98, 97, 2001, 2002, 2003. And, you know, you're talking about a pathway, not even, let's not even say a pathway. We're just talking about even the competitive environment of being able to find, you know, competition across the board. You're, we're, we're talking about 10 years off from when the USA women were, had just won a championship. So it's still early and even rugby is still early. So, when you guys were playing, was there a bunch of teams that you guys were able to compete against in that area, or did you guys have to travel a lot uh, to find competition? What was yeah. what was that? We we really only had to travel. I think the maximum that I ever tra- traveled to one game was maybe two hours. I, I was actually pretty pleased with the the number of yeah the number of comps that we had. The the one game that we did play, we played like a friendly against the University of Dayton, which th- at the time they were a Div one. Like they were like top nation, you know, top in the nation kind of school competitively, and now we got our we got our asses handed to us. But it was so much fun. Um, and actually, we were like a social rugby club, and they were like Div One, right? We were just like, uh, like Div Three. So uh, you know, but it it was so much fun. It was a good time. But yeah, I mean, in general, it was just basically any any place we could get a game. We were just willing to travel and go and. Um, there was no like a uh, official league as it were. It was just kind of right. like what what schools in Ohio are willing to play, let's set up a game and go there and play. That That's so it. dope. I'm not even gonna lie. Like yeah. even playing club down here in Louisiana, I think still my closest game might have been an hour, which was to New Orleans. And then basically every other game was around with Three to eight hours, depending on what it is. This is just between now 10 years, this is five, 10 years ago, just alone. So the idea of being able to be like, yo, two hours is my furthest, that's normal. I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you guys did it. This is this is nuts. I I might have to take away the southern label that I had for Ohio. So, so I guess, you know, coming off from that college and you had that introduction, so you get to understand and feel the culture of rugby initially uh like for me I, while baton rouge rugby wasn't a social rugby club they were competitive it was leaning more social than you know maybe a straight up competitive one so the culture of it was actually what sold me the big most because playing football you know you know the competition on the field and stuff like that for you whenever you were inter interacted into that culture and you already kind of mentioned it with the figure skating like what was the part that really caught you and and kind of uh hooked you in all the way through? Um, I mean, I think there's something pretty special about sticking your head between your teammates' bum cracks, you know, um, <laughs> that, that that bonds you in a way that you, no other sport can do, right? Amen um, to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, back when I was playing in Ohio, I was playing center, so I watched other people put their heads between bums. But, um, but, I, believe, like, I saw it happening. I, Felt the bonding from the distance. <laughs> I was happy to bond from the distance. No, but I think for me, it was really just about like recognizing that there's like some sort of, it's like an unspoken bond, right? It's like, it's like, you know, that you're putting out your best and you know that your teammates putting out their best. And it's just like, nobody's slacking. And I think for me, it was like, I'm really motivated, I guess, by that, like, Am I allowed to curse? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like this is this is the like, pleasure of having a platform. Can do whatever it wants. 
like it's kind of like somebody like looking at you like you know when you miss that tackle or when you miss that ruck or when you miss the, whatever it is you, you right. messed up right and it's like when that teammate looks at you and like get your shit together and it's like oh yeah i gotta right. get my shit together and so it's just like i don't know there's something something special um about like recognizing that you're like not just part of the team but it's like you really feel like you're a family even if you don't necessarily get along with that person from a personality standpoint you right. don't want to let the team down and so it's just like i think that that's very specific feeling of like i don't want to let the team down i want to make sure i'm putting out my best because we've got to get across the line and we're going to win this together and it's not like some of the other sports you know like basketball and such where you can kind of have like these one single superstars that just can right. carry the whole team right i mean you got 15 people out on the pitch and it takes all 15 people to make sure that you get across the line and so i, I think to me that's like the really unique special thing um about rugby that that differentiates us from from kind of other sports brought to you by the rugby outlet mall equipping you for freedom and connection through rugby find out more at rugbyoutletmall.com i agree and it, it, it was something that's, it has always interested me whenever i i got started and i started really digging deep in because you know i like you played multiple sports and, and don't get me wrong. There's always an aspect of bonding that I think goes on with any sport, any team sport. It, it, it's natural part of it, but there was another level of it that really kind of stood out where I was trying to figure out like, why is it, why does this social aspect feel so different than it has if I'm playing football and I'm cool with my teammates, but you know, at the same time, you know, I'm also cool with the opponents. I'm regardless yeah. or basketball or whatever. And I think the, yeah. the, the concept I came with was something to the effect of like it's it's your it's fight, it's like you're competing against your sibling. You're not competing against your enemy, you're competing against your sibling. Yeah. You don't want your sibling to beat you. Like that that can't happen, but you want your sibling to do well enough that they are still good, just not as good as you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I, I may have had a couple um castable injuries that I've given to a couple of uh, other girls over the years. Um, so and, you know, it. <laughs> it's like one of those things. It's like I went over and I was like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to, you know, break that limb. But, you know, at the end of the day, she's like, hey, it's cool. You know, we're just playing the game. It's fine. Uh, and there's no hard feelings. Nobody hates each other. Um, and I, that's that's something special. That's really something special. Agreed. And it helps that, you know, you get a drink along with it. It's like, yo, let me let me grab you that drink for you. I got you. My bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and, and I think that's it. Exactly. So, you know, even for me, so I because of that, I became really wanting to focus on the rugby culture itself. So with that in mind, how did were you able how did you go from being on a engaging social rugby club in college to then moving to the Philippines national team? Uh, well, I'm half Filipino, so that's part of it. Um, and then, yeah, so basically, uh, after I did one year at Wright State, and then I joined the military. So I did about nine years, and then I essentially during that whole time, I didn't play. I didn't play rugby at all the whole time. Um, you know, various deployments and, you know, kind of being stationed too busy, had life, had one kid, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, kind of did that pathway for a while. And then when I got out of the military, um, I was thinking, what's next? What do I want to do now? Um, and I thought kind of take a bit of a sabbatical year. My brother was already living here. So 
I'll come and take a year vacation in the Philippines and uh, <coughs> just figure it out as I go along. Um, and then it just so happened that that Philippines rugby had started up the women's team the year before I moved out here. And and I remember thinking like before my first practice, because I was like out of shape. I was like super out of shape. <coughs> hadn't played in 10 years. Uh, you know, Yo. had, had a baby about a year before, 18 months before, something like that. And I was just thinking to myself, yeah, no, nah, I'm going to I'm gonna really bite the dust here. I'm going to be sucking wind, all kind of like all that negative talk. And uh, I remember like reaching out like, hey, they're like, yeah, come out and train with us. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll just come watch. I'll just check it out, what? you know, because like, yeah, really I'm like, really like elite background of sports. Right. And I'm like, like at that time, I was like the heaviest that I'd ever been, all this kind of stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'll just come out and watch. And then I came out and they're like, no, just put on some boots, just come have a run around. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, of course, it's like once you step on the field and you get the ball in hand, you just remember how much you love it and how much you miss it. Uh, and that's, I think, you know, coming like we could talk about COVID some other time. But like, I think that's one of the things that I miss so much is just having that ball in hand, running around the pitch, just passing to my mates. Um, but yeah, so you know, from that first session of March, that was March. So three months later, I was the captain for the national women's team. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> so it was, it I was mean, you know, may as well speed through, you know, <laughs> if it's meant to happen, always it's been a bit of a fast tracker. Always been a bit of a fast tracker. So, um, yeah, so it's just kind of like, that was the first step. And then I think for me, it was, there was a lot of culture shock coming from the States and coming to the Philippines and and recognizing like wow i was really ungrateful for the resources that we have and the fields that we have and you know all that sort of background and, and everything that we've got so i, I just kind of thought to myself you know i think i can do something to help here i really like i've got this thing inside me that's like i want to help how can i help improve the program how can i help make it better and um yeah and that, that's really kind of just started the whole journey i mean i was only planning on being here for a year and now I've been here about nine years. So it's just kind of like one thing. And, it, and it's all been driven by rugby the whole step of the way. It's always right. like, how can I do more? What can I do? How can I step up? How can I, you know, do more to serve? And that's really been my whole story, really. You know, I, I can I, I like that because it kind of brings up several points, especially in the factor of, uh, of, of cultural enhancement, I guess, maybe it might be the word to utilize. Because for you, it's let me ask before this. Uh, had you gone to the Philippines prior to you moving there after the military? No, I mean, you know, just family vacations and stuff over the years as a kid, just like two weeks here, two weeks there. I had never right. stayed any, any amount of substantial time here. So it sounds like even, and I've had this issue. So my family is originally from Nigeria. So there's always been this draw of like, you know, you always like appreciate being in the States and, and what it has and yada, yada. But there's always this little bit of an instance of understanding the family that's overseas, the family of where the proverbial homeland would, would be. Yeah. And I think it's interesting being able to utilize rugby because it does create this bonding effect where now it's like finding and understanding the culture to its depth while simultaneously being able to utilize the social dynamics of the sport that already exists, kind of giving you a foundation on it. Um, you know, in, in doing that, um, obviously you like to stay, but in doing that, did you f end up feeling like you found 
maybe more of yourself in being able to be in the Philippines as opposed to that? Because I know one thing I love about going overseas is how much the myth breaking occurs of like how people portray it versus how it actually exists. So, yeah, you know, for you, was there that kind of um, self-reflection moment that came along with that as well as your rugby alongside your rugby journey? Yeah, I guess as I've kind of gone along, I mean, for me, like when I was in the military, I did a year in the Middle East. I did one year in the Middle East. And, um, you know, in my journey here, I've become a world rugby educator. I'm now a world rugby trainer. So I also deliver courses for other people to become certified as coaches or, um, you know, if they want to do SNC or match officiating. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago, I, I went back to another country uh, in, in the Middle East uh, to, to lead some training courses. And I remember having a little bit of like anxiety uh, because it was just like relating one experience to, right. to force out of the next experience. And I was just like, man, what a night and day, what a night and day experience it was for me in the sense it's like, you know, all, all the preconceptions that we have about something is, is usually very different from reality um, yes. in most cases. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I, I definitely encourage everyone as much as possible to like to travel, go to that place. If you think that there's something about that place, go learn about them. If there's a culture you don't understand, go understand it because it's usually n- never the way that it's perceived in, in sort of mass media or, or sort of mass understanding. Yeah. No. I, so yeah, I, I, it's had a huge impact on me in that self-reflection, definitely in my leadership journey and just like recognizing like what I think or what I perceive the challenges are is actually, there's usually a much deeper reason or a much deeper, uh, there's always like a next level that I need to understand in order to be able to get to the root of like, how how can I actually better serve or how can I better help, um, you know, those those in that particular community, yeah. Right, no, I, I love that. I, I always reflect back and this is, uh, you know, when I first started going to, to Asia to play rugby, because my team is now from Tokyo and they took me on these journeys. I've been meaning to go to Manila tents forever. It just always happens to be in April. Just, just yeah. So always in April. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Vietnam, and I remember prior to going there, I had I, I didn't know much. Like you know about Vietnam because Vietnam War, and so as a result, my head was yo, it's still recovering from Vietnam War. Like you don't hear anything. It's just that, and so. Um, my brother had told me some stuff about it, but he hadn't gone there. He was like, he had heard that it was now a vacation spot for a lot of people. And I was like, wait, seriously? And then I went. And I was just like, yo, we really need to start talking about this because this place is amazing. And it is yeah. not war-torn like I <laughs> thought it was uh, because nobody had explained anything. But had it not been, and, and to be honest with you, there would have been no incentive had it not been for rugby and going to um, yeah. uh, Saigon Tent. And so it was just like, yo, like, we not only is this place amazing, more people need to come out to this just in the tournament, yeah. let alone to enjoy the culture. And again, for me, I, I'll make this claim I've never been in a place that's so safe in my life, ever. Right. Like, I, yeah. I mean, Wild. Vietnam is one of the one of the more technologically advanced countries in Southeast Asia as well. Like, right. as far as the stuff that's going out, the the progression of economy, um, they're really up and coming. Just a lot of people don't really know about it, especially exactly. you know in states and stuff. 
Exactly. Actually, they have the Hanoi 10s coming up uh, this weekend, I think. They've got the Hanoi 10s coming up. They, they always do it in this horrible, the springtime moment where it's just like, no, do more summer. Be in the fall, I mean. Be in the fall. Like, why? Like, because in between- Southeast Asia, you know, the, the fall in the state is basically typhoon season in Southeast Asia. Uh, so <laughs> most that, of our tournaments happen in the U.S., uh, you know, for as far as the state's concerned, like winter, springish. So most, most of the, like, casual social tournaments is, like, uh, between January and April, basically. Basically, and which has all been the time. It was Bangkok 10s. That was in February. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, been talked about Manila 10s in April. And I think because Saigon 10s happened to be in September, it happened to work out, and then whatever, mm-hmm. Japan always is there. So, yeah, it, it's always in this little crux time. So one way or another, I, I have to make my way out there. Because, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, all right. So, kind of getting back because I, I could go on a tangent about how much I love Southeast Asia. Right? It's just, just it's home. Well, so, I, well, um, I love Louisiana. So, uh, you know, we, we we can do a swap house situation one time. Switch it out. Yeah. yeah, we'll just swap houses. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you you now got into and became a component of of uh, Philippines rugby. You, you took on the national team. For you, because this is basically meaning now you're you're part of this development of this squad that has been going. And for what it's worth, from what I've understood, Philippines rugby has developed significantly over the last 10 years, um, at least definitely from the men's side I knew. And from what I've seen from Bangkok 10s and then subsequently from literally the Bangkok 10s and Saigon 10s, the women's side has slowly been increasing itself over this last five years. Um, so for you, like, now that you're – You've gone from amateur social to kind of steady to developing, and then now you're really in the crux of developing and, like, educating it. What has that path been like for you in being able to see it and literally building this thing almost from ground up? Um, yeah, I think, like, it's, it's like one of those things, like, when, you know, you first get, like, your first leadership position, and you're like, yeah, I'm the boss. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you just think that you know everything, right? Um, but really, like, actually, all you can see is, like, right here. Like, this is all you can actually see. And then, you know, you spend a couple of years, and then you're like, oh, 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 I can see a little bit more. And then you come more, like, oh, dang, I can see a little bit more. Until then you realize one day, like, I didn't know anything back then. <laughs> I just thought I knew. I just thought I knew. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's basically basically been my leadership journey, or that's been my journey throughout this whole thing. Is just like, um, you know, being able to see a little bit more of the bigger picture, a little bit more of the bigger picture, and then having these experiences. And that's why I think traveling and traveling with rugby is such a such a wonderful experience because then you get to really capture um, different perspectives or different stories or um, you know different different ways of looking at things or different ideas about how the rugby should be developed. I mean, how we develop rugby in the U.S. is maybe different from how we would develop rugby in Southeast Asia and is different from how we would develop it in Africa. And, and, and I think, but there are some common themes, right? And it's about right. like having all these conversations, having all these experiences, taking away the things that you think are applicable for your context and, and, you know, and, and then kind of shutting the rest. Right. Um, right. And I think that's what's probably going to serve the Philippines best is, 
is, you know, for me being in the position that I'm in now is recognizing like, okay, I've had all these experiences at world rugby, Asia rugby. Um, you know, I've even been to Botswana. Uh, I, I mean, I've traveled a lot of different places and um, just recognizing the commonalities that I think that we can address that would help everybody. Um, and then recognizing that there are some specific things that are contextual only in the Philippines. Like for instance, rugby in the Philippines right now is known as a solvent. Um, it's a sniffing solvent that kids do to get high. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that doesn't exist anywhere oh, else in the world. When you go out on the streets and you tell kids, hey, do you want to do rugby? They think you want to go get high. Um, and so, uh, so we, so we've got a, we've got a, we've got that sort of additional barrier that we've got to overcome, a cultural context that we've got to overcome. But it's also right. a really cool thing because it opens up some ideas around like, okay, maybe we can team up with the Department of Health, or maybe we can team up with the schools to make it an anti-drug campaign. And that's something that we wouldn't otherwise maybe had had um, exposure to. Um, so right. I, I think, yeah, I think it's really just about like doing the hard yards as we were talking about earlier, you know, it's just like really about plugging away. There's no, I mean, I used to hate when I was younger, I used to hate when the old people would tell me like, <laughs> you just gotta wait your time, you gotta make sure you got your experience and blah, blah, blah. But, but there is some validity to it. I think, uh, I mean, I think it's really important to continue having like the vitality of the, of like being young and having these great ideas, but like, there's also something to be said about just like plugging away because, you know, you think that there's going to be these quick fixes like, oh, if I just do this one thing, I can like fix the whole problem. And it's like, actually, it's usually like two steps forward, three steps back, four steps right. forward, five steps back. And it's just like this, this progress of, you know, there's never, there's never really a straight line. It's just really this winding road. As long as you're, as long as you're sort of eventually getting forward, uh, just accept the fact that there's going to be setbacks and, and challenges along the way. No, I, I, I was talking with somebody and, and, and I told him this exactly. I was like, look, even whenever something seems simple, it's never easy. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's always this wild process regardless. And I, I love hearing that because, you know, for me, when it comes to the positioning of rugby, I, I look at it from rugby as an industry versus just rugby as the game, but they play mm -hmm. in the same way, especially in, non-major rugby countries like the U.S. and the Philippines and such, where it is you're navigating this new pathway, especially now you're navigating this new pathway and you're thinking, look, all it is is A, B, C, D. But then when you realize it's like A, Z, X, Y, B, C, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, D, <laughs> and you're just like, yo, wait, why are we doing so much? But in that process, you do actually end up taking so much new information and it does create it. So like the fact that you're able to go utilize something like rebranding rugby into an actual functional um, greater than the sport element is amazing. I, I, it's just, it's amazing. And it's everything that I would have believed that you can utilize rugby for, even if it's small and nuanced, it, it's that resonating effect that goes right. Yeah, definitely. I, well, especially because, in, in Asia, in a lot of Asian countries, uh, there's just not a lot of emphasis on sport. It's much more emphasized education, education, you know, some of those stereotypes that we have around uh, you know, Asian kids being the nerds, it's always being the smart ones in the room. It's because there's a lot there. I mean, stereotypes yeah, do usually there. come about because there's some level of truth to it. Um, <laughs> and it's because the Nigerian, I understand. Don't really value yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, Essentially, the parents are like, there's no, there's no value 
and being able to create a viable career option for my kids. So why should I get them involved in sport? And so when we're approaching development of, of rugby or any sport, really, I think in Asia, you've got to figure out how can I appeal to the parents, right? Because in the, in the States, it's easy, right? Everyone starts sports at, you know, age two, age three. We're like, oh, I've got to get an early start on it. If they want to get into the NFL, they want to get in the NBA. Um, you know, we, we know that we've got to get them started really early. But in Asia, it's more like, okay, we've got to go from the angle of like, hey, your kid's going to get an education and, oh, we're just doing this rugby thing on the side, but we're actually teaching them life skills. So it's like the the approach is like sport for development rather than sport development, if that makes right. sense. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. And, you know, it, it I, I like it because we talk about that even here is what is it that you want rugby We talk about with people? What is it that you want rugby to be? What is the value proposition? Because I think the same issue still resonates. It's what, why, like, because I know we, we understand it as we play it for passion. We enjoy it, the, the camaraderie, all that, the, the basic tagline. But as you start to recruit, and especially in this era where people are wanting to make sure what's the end game and finding the longevity for it, you have to add that value prop. And so, uh, you know, whether it's like I think now with the U.S. in the U.S., obviously with MLR, there's a little bit of a career value. And I've seen it with the high school students, but I still go like, you know, where you can travel, you, you can find opportunity, that global network. So for you guys, like obviously facing it towards education or uh, otherwise, like what are and, you know, if you don't want to tell me trade secrets, I got you. You know, I, I understand you got to put it together, <laughs> but. You know, what are what are some things that that you guys have felt have revealed themselves as you've been, you know, seeing this process that you're like, this wasn't tapped in the way that it could have. But now we're going to kind of aim a little bit more on this direction. Well, I think like it's no there's no trade secret per se, um, <laughs> you know, because you can't, it's not really applicable for for the states as far as development goes. So, um, you know, in the, in the oh, well, writing it down. <laughs> yeah, you can write, it's fine. You can write it all down. I'm happy to give away the trade secrets. It's not much. Of, it's like a big open secret. Um, and um, so, I think for us, part of our success of the men's program um, has really been about exploring international talent. Right. So, uh, I didn't come here with the mind to play rugby. But um, but we basically Filipinos um, through history have sort of spread out all over the planet. And so there are lots of, you know, Filipinos or half Filipinos or Filipinos with grandparents and stuff like that. And they're just all over the place and they're playing rugby in countries like the U.S. and Canada, um, Australia, New Zealand and all that sort of stuff. And and that's really provided a huge boost to our national team to be able to tap into the international talent pool of Filipinos already playing the game. Um, whereas it, it, you know, obviously we're only, we're about 20 years old as far as the union is concerned. And so it takes a long time to build local rugby, right? It really takes a long time and a lot of concerted effort. And so it's really helped us to raise the profile by bringing in some of our international talent. Um, and now we're at the stage where we're, we're, you know, slowly building up the local pool, integrating them with the international pool. Um, to, to such a stage that we're hoping that a few more years time will be less reliant on some of the international players because we've built up uh, more of our grassroots players here locally. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, that's really been a huge boost to, to raising the profile. So for us to be able to build on it more. Um, but I think moving forward, obviously it's, it's, it is about trying to find a 
a balance because I think in in Asia or maybe it's just in the context of the Philippines, there's kind of like, are you Filipino enough? You know, right. or you're not a true Filipino because you're not from here. You're not a true Filipino because you're only half. And it's like, man, unless actually, unless you're the color of gift, you're nobody's a true <laughs> Filipino in this country. <laughs> because if you look at the real indigenous Filipinos, we right. look very Pacific. We look, we're very, very dark. And right. so, I, you know, it's a real, it's a strange cultural thing where, um, you know, people, I think where people can't set separate or segregate based on race, they'll segregate based on social class or they'll segregate based on percentage of pure blood or, or whatever you want to look at. Um, man, I'm probably not going to get a lot of likes for this, but, um, you know, I, I think like- Speak the truth. That's all being, you can do. Speak being, a being, a, being a representative of a country just means that you, you know, World Rugby Law say it well. It's just, it's that you've got a, a true- um, connection to the country that you're representing, right? And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 50% blood or you're 75% blood or whatever, whether you were born here or your mother was born here, your grandparents were born here. Um, you know, the point is, is that you have a true bond with the country that you're representing. And um, and I think that's really a valid point for for all of us. And, um, and you know, whether you're, whatever you're, you're color, creed, religion, gender, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's so true. Um, right. And I, I think it's just about so supporting and promoting the sport for the sport, right? Not not based on percentage of blood or anything like that. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that, um, you know, for us, it's about finding a balance between getting the best that we have and right. building the best that we want right. uh, between the two pools. Oh, I love that. I love that. And if you want to continue, keep doing those long-witted, but very powerful. And I'm, a, I was like, yes, let's go, sister. Power to the people. What's I'm talking about? You know, uh, keep, keep at it. I'm, I'm here for it. But um, you know, so I, I, I like the, the one thing I, I, I found very interesting in, in that because I, I've heard this um, is then how it then interacts with world rugby. And it might not be the smoothest transition, but I really just want to know, because now you're in this position as a rugby union president, which means now you actually have to be in contact with world rugby. So before I go into my question, I'm going to put a little context into things. So during 2020 pandemic, you know, every, obviously everything had to shut down. For me personally, there's, I've had my issues when it comes to unions, because I think traditionalism can be a real problem with it. But I was very happy to hear about a lot of issues with rugby unions faltering financially and stuff like that because I felt like it created an entity, uh, a, 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 a position where now you're no longer working with what you know. You're working to have to now innovate and actually push different things. The USA rugby almost going bankrupt. Australia almost going bankrupt. Even rugby union almost going bankrupt and et cetera. And yeah. when you have those leaderships go, it, it starts to impact the rest of the union to cross. So for you now in this point, as, as you enter into this rugby union president, and I'm assuming you've talked with him before, world rugby has this stage of being sometimes bias. You know, there, there could be, or the assumption of bias. We, we talked about perception versus reality. So I want to know for you, as you have worked with world rugby uh, more personally and as you will more directly, 
What has that experience been like for you? Uh, is it has it confirmed, denied, or you know you're just like wide open and you're learning more and more about the interworkings of it, and you're just like, yo, people, you need to chill. <laughs> um, well, I think um, before I became the president of the union, actually, I was already sitting on the World Rugby Council. I, I don't know if you read, but I'm actually the first woman to sit on the World Rugby Council. Um, so okay, so. This, I feel like this checks out even more. It just uh, a little bit more direction. I, I missed that one, but I go back to the revolutionary, innovative person that you keep trying to say, yeah, I don't know if it is. Yeah, no, I stand by it. Stamped yeah. even harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so um, I actually, I've been on World Rugby Council for about three years now. I was the first woman that was um, that was uh, appointed, elected on after World Rugby did the huge governance change back in 2017 to right. try and boost more women representatives on the council. So there was, there was basically zero. And then in, in one decision of the council, uh, we went up to, to 17 women straight away, or the, the, the space for 17 women, which was amazing. It was like really, really forward thinking for, for any international federation to take such a stance, which is awesome. It took about two years really to, to fill the, those spots. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. And, and I guess the, the traditionalism, I mean, rugby, you know, we talk about traditionalism as a sense of pride, right? I mean, even when we talk about our culture, right, going about going out and drinking with our, with our, you know, the team that our you just played against, that's part of rugby yeah. culture, the singing, the songs, those are all part of rugby culture. And so th right. there's a long tradition there that comes with it, but some, some things that are better and some things that are, that right. we could use. Like some of those rugby songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like some of them rugby songs, we could definitely do with a change. Um, and I guess like, for me, I think there were people that asked me this question actually when I first got onto council, they're like, wow, what's it like now that you're on council? And you know, is it gonna change? Is everything gonna be immediately changed? And I thought, you know, it's one thing for, I think that the council uh, had had the foresight to realize that there needed to be a change, but right. but but accepting that you know that there needs to be a change and actually accepting the change, those are that's a that's a progression, right? The two different things. Right. And so I always tell people, like change is a is a process. It's not a decision. So it was a decision to create space for more women to get on the council, but the. Right but the process of women being really impactful and really making driving change and being part of the conversation at a larger scale, that takes time. And, but to say that, I mean, I said that in 2017, um, but now we're actually starting to see that. So now World Rugby, uh, you know, slowly, and I'd say progressively, quickly, uh, this is an accelerated process. We've now got uh, one of the women that's chairing one of the committees for, for World Rugby. Um, you've got women that represent on all the committees that World Rugby has. So I currently sit on the Regions Committee, and I also sit on um, the Community Rugby, which is basically grassroots and development. So I sit on two committees already, and and so women are being integrated. Women are it, it's it's a process, um, and I think that it will continue to change the direction. It will continue to change the landscape of rugby moving forward. No, and that I, I love to hear, and uh, and it makes perfect sense. Like I said, I well, I say I I definitely see the changes, and I think that's why I was saying, referencing back to what happened during the pandemic, um, as if the pandemic has ended, but it happened in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, it kind of reminds me of you know you're talking 1995 when professionalism finally is check marked off by IRB. 
now you have this next stage where you're able to make these adjustments. And like you said, the 2017 women are allowed, which you would think, oh man, this is so obvious, but it does. It is a process. And regardless of whatever the situation is, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, right. But that's why I go back again and, and, and say like, for you, even within that, the, the women's component, do you feel like world rugby continues to, um, continues to keep trying to teach itself and, and better itself now and maybe to some extent modernize in some of these elements that weren't so much maybe paid attention to before as opposed to um, where they're trying to go to now. And especially now that you also have a hand in that process. Yeah, I think um, I know it's uh, crazy to think how social media can have such an impact, but I think that really, if you follow the, the trail of global conversations, yeah. that does have an impact. I mean, people think that their little little tweet or their little you know message that they put out, as conversations grow and the, the voices become louder and those voices have to be heard, um, you know, it does have a big, big impact actually um, into the direction that most organizations are going. Unfortunately, um, as it is like even in the corporate world, right, the bigger the company, generally speaking, the longer it takes for for those organizations to shift and move. They're not as agile. They're not as adept as like a startup. Right. So, um, you know, but I think recognizing that that world rugby is moving in the right direction. They do recognize that there are changes that, that need to happen. It's just because there are so many different perspectives, so many different opinions, so many different ideas about how they think. I mean, nobody's in, in rugby because they have some grand personal agenda, I think, I would hope. But but everyone- There's <laughs> always that one person. Always that one yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think everybody that's involved in rugby genuinely wants to see the best thing for rugby or the best right. thing for their country or the best thing for their community, right? But we all have different ideas on what that one best thing is or what that top 10 best thing is. And so it's right. just trying to get, get everybody on the same page to, to find, okay, well maybe you've got your top 10, I've got my top 10, but maybe we can, together we can find our three that kind of cross over and focus on that. Right. And, and I guess, you know, when you've got so many different markets, you've got, you know, especially at the world rugby level, right? You've got emerging markets, you've got the traditional markets, you've got the absolutely nothing markets going on. <laughs> and, um, you know, trying to, trying to serve the needs of the whole global rugby community Right. can be quite challenging. But I think because of some of these global conversations that are happening, I mean, if you look at some of the smaller countries that previously wouldn't have had much of a voice, and I won't name any current news stories or anything, but if, you know, there are lots of smaller countries that are actually having a much larger voice now because of the social media platform. And so um, you know, things that would normally be able to be ignored in, in you know, previous days are no longer allowed to be ignored and you've got to bring attention to it. So um, I, I think that having that pressure of the global conversation helps to to drive to drive that change. So, uh, you know, kind of kind of winding it down. I still got, a, I got one more one or two more questions for you. If you, you can hold strong for me, you know, uh, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, and, and kind of speaking into global change, one of those came with the Women's Rugby World Cup, moving it from uh, increasing the number of pool plays pool plays to 12 from, no, to 16, right, from its yeah. previous uh, previous eight, 
12. Yeah, sorry. This is this. But it's it's for me. I was it was one place where I was really actually happy, and this will go into what happens now moving forward with uh, 2021 and what was going to go through. But um, it was one area that I was really happy to see, especially after the result of the 2017. Uh, Women's Rugby World Cup, because that one was just amazing, especially coming off the back of the Olympics, even prior to that, where I think the world finally, ironically, but finally was able to see women's rugby in the pure artistry that it is, and not as tried to explain almost like a sideshow that is meant to appease, you know, and so, you know, you, you got the numbers from that 2017, and it built into this 2021, and we didn't even have to see the 2021 yet to be able to get the expansion. So for you being able to know that that 16, now you, you got that extra seating for a person who's looking at the Philippines and while it might be a young union, you guys are developing, like how exciting does that feel to know that there's a higher percentage chance of being able to see a, you know, Filipino women's national team in the women's rugby world cup at some point in the future, as opposed to what it was. You know, just, last year <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I, I mean really the the crux of it is that men's rugby has been around for you know 200 plus years right and so, so uh, i think that that a lot of countries are waking up to the fact that because women's rugby globally is younger there's actually a m- much smaller divide so in, in a country like india for example i think that they took a really radical stance a couple years back i think about maybe six years back now, um, in the sense that they realized that, I mean, their men's program has been around for a long time, right? They have a lot of British colonialism and stuff. So they, their men's team has been around for a long time, but th- their men's team are, are very, it will be very challenging for their men's team to break into a Rugby World Cup, right? right. But their women's program, which which is also quite young, uh, but one of the stronger club or one of the stronger uh, programs in the, in the area because in the region because they've, they've put an emphasis saying, actually, our women's team have a much better chance of getting into a Rugby World Cup than our men's program. Yep. And it's, it's because of the fact that the women's game globally is younger all around. So I, right. think, I think America did a really good job of picking up on that. India, there's a couple countries that are like, hold on a second. Is it really important that we get to a Rugby World Cup on the men's back? Or right. are we just going to go to a Rugby World Cup? Because now they're not called the the Rugby World Cup and the Women's Rugby World Cup, they're both just World Cups. The now. Rugby World right. Cup, right. They're exactly. all Rugby World Cups. And so it's like, okay, well, let's get our country on the board as a Rugby World Cup attendee. Right. But it may be actually with the – you might have a better chance with the women's program. So, and, you know – oh, sorry, continue. No, 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 go, go. No, no, I was going to say it, it's one thing that I, I think has been dynamically interesting and in, which has made a huge advantage. And it's one thing that I felt rugby across the world needed to start weighing on is – because for the women, and this is going to sound off, but it, it's with purpose. Because there's less options for contact sports, it means that I think the be- best amount of women athletes have the capability, have the possibility of entering into the sport. Hence, the level of play comes out naturally higher, which is, as I said, we saw in 2017, 2016. And if you look at, you know, anybody who watched the 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 seven series for the women could see that to begin with. But again, we'll talk where the national stage really took it. Um, You see a a much greater wave of development that I feel gives you the best product with also the greatest growth potential, because I think with men, obviously you have 
football in the states, yeah, American football, and then obviously across the world, typically it goes into soccer, football. But that's where your most prestigious athletes tend to go to. Whereas in rugby, while you're fighting in a lot of countries, it seems like stigma. Once you get past the stigma, now you just get athletes. And once you now get athletes, yeah. now it's like, do you want to, you can do handball, you can do cricket like India, or you can now go into a dom- domination sport like uh, rugby, or you could do fight sports like MMA, but let's go rugby. And it was something yeah. even I saw in Cambodia where it was like, you give this angle and like the women completely dominate from an early age because of the fact that it's like, there's a different mentality that it goes with knowing that you can hit somebody versus just playing or just doing an individual sport. There's that team and obviously contact. Contact breeds a lot of confidence and culture change there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't agree more. And I think in the States specifically, um, because football is so gendered towards men, um, it, it is a huge opportunity for girls to be like, look, I don't want to be put up in a bikini and with pads on and look all right. cute and be like a powder puff. I want to go out and actually be an athlete, you know, like hashtag cover the athlete, right? I like, I don't want to be asked about my hair. My hair is going to look like crap, right? I'm going to go out, I'm going to hit hard and I'm going to love it. And I don't care what shorts I'm wearing or what shoes I'm wearing today. Um, I want to go out and be respected as an athlete. And I think rugby provides an opportunity for women to be celebrated as athletes, not as, um, you know, oh, well, you're the partner of this, or you're the partner of that, you know. Um, right. It's just like, wow, you're an amazing athlete and good on you. Right. It's an independent, it, it's an autonomous, independent position. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. So, you know, winding down now, last question. You know, Philippines rugby continues to grow. You guys are are dynamically continuing to change the game. You, I, I always feel like between the Philippines, Sri Lanka, Thailand, and Japan and China, like this is where the game sees the most um, shifts in in the Asia area. Um, now, as as a president, you know what is what is your what is the platform that you plan to and intend to use to continue to drive your drive your 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 agenda forward for lack of a better word mm, i think it kind of goes back to what we were saying before it's like the it seems like simple but actually it's really a complicated question <laughs> um this is what we do we get deep it's no. like it's like oh all we have to do is get into the schools make sure our national team's successful and um, and then yeah, and then build it, and they will come, right? No, it's not, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> yeah, no, just check it off. It's, it's not no yeah. problem, no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely no, there's no single one thing that I can say that will um, make us successful. I can tell you that I do have a multi-pronged att- uh, approach in the sense that, like I was saying earlier, it's really important for us to continue succeeding at the international level because. Of course, that helps us with our funding with sponsors. It helps us with our government funding, um, which is very results-based. Um, and, and also it helps to raise awareness, the profile of rugby in the country. Um, and, and we want to make sure that we continue to put out our best athletes on the field. And um, so I, I think that that is one thing that we want 
want to do, especially during this season of COVID. Um, there's basically no rugby happening in the Philippines. And so we really have to rely on our international talent, you know, our athletes that are playing in the States and, you know, Australia, New Zealand, they're actually out playing games, right? And, and we just, we, we can't compete with that at the moment. And um, so, yeah, so I think basically in the next couple of years, we're probably going to need to rely a lot on that international talent pool. Um, but my, 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 basically my, my top priority locally is to just get rugby back on the pitch, you know, um, get to a stage where we can just pass the ball around, have some basic conditioning, um, make sure that we're taking care of the, the welfare of the athlete. Because even when we do get to come back on the pitch, you know, we haven't done contact in over a year now. Uh, and we've got to make sure we've got to do it in a safe way with a proper preseason before people get into contact so that people aren't having concussions and breaking bones left and right and all that kind of stuff so really making sure that player welfare is at the forefront of our minds um and and then from that space uh really just trying to continue building the scene through our um through our partnerships with the communities with the schools using sport for development um approaches and you know I, one of my big hopes for this year well maybe not this year but one of my big hopes for uh the, the next couple of years is to try and get into you know our equivalent of the uh, ncaa um, because the, that kind of stuff is televised here. Um, I recognize it. It's, it's really, it's a great entryway for us to truly build the awareness and build the profile of rugby um, and recognize and promote to Filipinos like, hey, this is a sport that we can play. I don't know why we're playing basketball. We're a small country, right? We're never, <laughs> we're never, never going to be that competitive. So let's get on board with rugby because we've got the agility, we've got the ball handling, we've got all those skills that we've got from basketball are really transferable to rugby. I'm sure you know that also, right? I mean, you got all the ball handling skills, um, the agility, the ability to run, all that kind of stuff, being able to look into see into space, all that stuff transfers really, really well into rugby. So um, once we can turn on the, the local rugby population into recognizing like, oh, we don't have to be tall. We can just be fast <laughs> and just run everybody. Um, then yeah, that's really how I, I think that we can build the, build the sport out really, really quickly. I love it. I absolutely love it. Ada, thank you so much. And, you know, for the sake of, you know, any Filipino players who might hear this and, uh, you know, interested, what's the best way to, you know, either get in contact with you or who did contact? What's the best way to be able to uh, be able to participate, I guess? Um, well, I mean, obviously, just check us out on all of our social media pages, Instagram, philippines.rugby, um, or our um, our Facebook page, which is, I think it's a really long one. I think it's called Philippines rugby team slash Philippine volcanoes, which is our national rugby team. Um, but really, you know, just have a, have a look out, you know, we're always looking for international talent. So if you, especially in the States, actually, I think the States is one of our most untapped markets for Philippine talent. I heard the other day that, that Tagalog, which is the national language of the Philippines, Mm -hmm. like the fourth most spoken language or something in the states and and so i know that there are heaps of filipinos out there so filipinos right. call it out <laughs> shout out um find us on our social media pages reach out to us send us your demos we want to hear from you um we, we definitely are always looking for more international talent to add to our training pool yo i love it ada thank you Build so much <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Oh, I love it. This, it. I feel like I'm at home. I told you, this was going to be a discussion from the beginning. That solidified it. This is that's where we go. That's it. That's it. <laughs>
<laughs> didn't give the brief. I didn't give the brief before we started. <laughs> oh, ah, ah. I love this. I love it so much. Anyway, Yo, it's not like some of those so other much. embarrassing calls where people walk around in their underwear or something. So it's okay. What? Look, this is post pandemic, all right? All things are open at this point now. Like, we, we. All things are open. Yeah, exactly. Ada, thank you so very, very much. Um, I appreciate the patience with me. I know bad information, but guys, I, I, I appreciate it. I hope you guys took value from that. I learned so much from that in, in so many levels, and I, I love the journey. I, I absolutely adore the journey. Um, and, and it's everything to me to be able to keep having to uh, hear and tell and show these stories because I think they're so important to developing the upward tra- trajectory of rugby. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please check out some of our other podcasts. Last week we had uh, Warren Mullis and Preston Thompson of American Rugby Podcast, uh, also known as Red, White, and Black Eye. Uh, prior to that, we had Tozan Tutatanwe of Viral Rugby. We had USA Rugby Council for Training and Development on. We had Tiffany Faye, the former 27 captain for the USA Rugby team for the 2017 Rugby World Cup. We had Gabby J. Pellegrini. We had Leo Crema. And we had um, uh, uh, of Curitiba Rugby. We've had Tiara Mack. The Rhode Island State Senator, uh, Coma Gandhi Fishbin, uh, Gordon Hanlon, Georgie Coda, uh, Freddie Henry Ajuda of Nigeria Rugby. We are bringing all sorts of people. Cheta Emba of USA Rugby, Kelly Smith of American uh, Rugby Pro Training Center. Like, we are bringing all the different kinds of people so you understand the wide variation that is available when it comes to what you can do in rugby and how you can be able to support as both a person who spectates a person who learns and of course of course of course a person who wants to be able to fully invest and make a career in a life through this so guys i hope you enjoy i hope you 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 have a good one and please never forget i hope you're happy I hope you're healthy, and I hope you know that you are highly favored. I will talk to you next time. Cheers.